Welcome back to another episode of Where Do We Begin? I'm Jackson. And I'm Harper. We've got a cracker lined up today, Jack. Yep. So we have Adam Schneider, famous Swans and Saints player on today. Yeah. Premiership player, played in lots of grand finals, massively decorated, had a great career up at, back up at Sydney now, coaching the Giants. So we're just planning on going through his whole life and careers. Very interesting guy. So stick around. Here he is. Let's go. All right, so we've got a great guest on this week. He's known as Snides or Schneiderman, some know him as, or just plain old Adam. But the official Where Do We Begin podcast Indian fan club knows him for the Cubbity World Cup. But Adam Schneider, what's Cubbity? Kabadi, g'day boys, how are you? Yeah, Kabadi, mate. It's um, it's a very interesting story, that one. Um, uh, it's a weird sport. It is an actual sport, but um, I was lucky enough to go over there with Campbell Brown and Stephen Milton and represented Australia in the World Cup. So, yeah, quite a unique time for me, that was. What's the sport involved? Yeah, it's, it's the best way to explain it is um, go to a basketball game, it's seven on seven, but you don't have a ball to play with. So it's pretty much a British Bulldog after that. One bloke goes into to half the court. Um, the seven blokes are going to try and tackle you to the ground and you're going to try and touch as many of them and get back over halfway without being tackled to the ground. So that's probably the best way to explain it. Uh, it was actually a very fun game. Really, really enjoyed it. It's pretty br- brutal on the body, um, but uh, but really good fun. All right, enough of that. We'll get back into the normal pod. So, uh, Adam, you, grew, you were born in 1984 in country New South Wales. How was your early life? Yeah, good, mate. Grew up on a farm, country New South Wales. Um, absolutely love it. Farm boy at heart. Uh, so did that, played with Osborne Football Club growing up there and was lucky to play in some five grand finals growing up. So I really enjoyed my, my time out there and um, I went to a boarding school and, and then had to move to Wagga to give myself an opportunity with footy because it was sort of the direction I, I wanted to head. And, um, yeah, I uh, had to choose between that and cricket and, and lucky I chose footy and got drafted by the Swans in 2001. New South Wales not traditionally one of the bigger footy states, so how did you get into footy? Yeah, look, when I went to school in Leeton, where I went to boarding school, it was literally half and half. It was half AFL, half rugby. So um, I decided to move and go to Wagga for year 10 and 11, um, where it's a bit more Aussie rules orientated. And, and it was part of the New South Wales under-18s Rams team, where they played against the other 18s teams down in Melbourne and, and so, so so forth. So, yeah, that was it, mate. I just pretty much grew up uh, on a farm. I was 2K from a footy oval out there. So me and my brothers went down to the footy oval and played footy every afternoon after school. and. And mucked around as every kid does and, and yeah, just fell in love with it from there. So there was a reason going to Wagga, but like did was there a huge move for you to move there or? Um, well, no, where, where we lived, Osmond's probably an hour from Wagga um, and Leeton was probably an hour and a half from, from where I lived as well the other way. So just had to move school for boarding school and, and like I said, the, the Rams were based up there. They had a training group there and in Canberra and in Sydney. So decided to do that and I moved into a boarding house up in Wagga and, and then moved out with my brother a year later and and um, just to give myself the best opportunity there. So, yeah, don't regret doing it, which is good. Obviously a New South Wales boy, Swans fan growing up? Um, to be honest, I never really had a, a team. I was one of the ones who just enjoyed watching footy and, and sort of followed the underdogs like most Australians do, but um, I followed mainly players. I had some, you know, some favourite players. I used to follow a couple from Richmond, obviously Gary Abbott Senior was one of them. Uh, Wayne Carey, obviously being a Riverina boy as well, and, and Paul Kelly, I sort of follow them guys pretty tightly as well growing up. So, so 
you were picked up by the Swans in 2001. Um, was it easy for you to move to Sydney and just stay in your home state? Um, yeah, look, it's always a big move. Man. A 17-year-old kid moving somewhere, um, it's always difficult. Uh, Osborne has a population of 10 people, so moving to the big city of whatever it is, four or five million, was, was pretty uh, different for me to get used to. But, yeah, look, it was, I was obviously glad to be either Melbourne or Sydney because it was probably the closest place to, to home. It was about five hours each way, I think. So, yeah, that was handy and, yeah, still still hard as a young kid, but, um, yeah, it turned out all right in the end. Was it always going to be the Swans or did any other clubs have a chat to you? Um, I don't think so. A couple at draft camp, but I got drafted at a young age, so I wasn't really expecting to get picked up uh, as a 17-year-old. I don't do that anymore, but uh, I spoke to about four or five clubs, and I was picked up late in the draft. I think I was picked 65 or something like that, and just before Mickey Martin. Mickey Martin went from North Melbourne to Carlton in the 2001 draft. So, yeah, that was the story behind that, and, yeah, it worked out well. So you didn't play in your first full season in 2002 because of a few injuries. How hard was that for you? Yeah, that was, it was very difficult. Day one, I walked in the door and they do a little body check on you and make sure you, you're feeling all right. And I found out I had a, a fracture in my foot. So the day one, I was put in a moon boot for eight weeks and missed four months of footy straight up. So that was pretty frustrating and pretty, you know, daunting as a young kid, not being able to do that. So disappointing there. And, and eventually got to play three games, I think, in the reserves and then got glandular fever. I got sent back to the farm for, for two more months after that, I think it was, and then come back and had a couple of quad injuries as well. So, But I was lucky enough to play in the – we were affiliated with the VFL with Port Melbourne as the Swans Reserves, and, and we played in a final series down there. And we actually lost the grand final to Geelong um, down there, which had some superstars in it. So, as you said, day one, you got put in a moon, but was that hard to sort of integrate into the squad with the new players and the already established players? Yeah, it was. It's obviously difficult and, you know, it's pretty intimidating at the best of times, jumping into a new group and not being able to train with them even then made it even harder and, and being a quiet country boy, you know, you, you thought about home a fair bit as it was. So it made, you know, difficult times, but it also taught you uh, really good resilience and, and not to take things for granted and, and build your mental strength side of things. So trained a fair bit in the gym, not being able to run out in the ground and, you know, there's probably training with two or three blokes instead of 40 blokes, which was challenging, but like I said, it really sort of gave me you know, everything was upwards after that if I could get through that period of my career. The dedication that you need to get through that tough first season, has that helped you throughout your career and life in general, I guess? Yeah, it definitely did help me for sure. Like I said, it was it was something that was very challenging and, you know, going through that first, I guess it sort of make you realise how important it is and how lucky you are when you are healthy and fit. Um, and you didn't want to go back to rehab as much as possible and, you know, that was sort of something that happened. Also had a bit of a, a tragedy in my second year, I think it was. A, a, my best mates passed away at home in a car crash as well. So to have that in the first couple of years, knowing if I could get through that, I could sort of face any adversity that was sort of thrown at us. So, yeah, really good learning part for me and, and just my life in general. So in the 2003 season, you sort of burst on the scene, playing every game that season and scoring 30 goals and getting a Rising Star nomination. How big was that first year for you? Oh, yeah, look, it was good. It was just exciting to play um, in, in the senior level. Um, I had an okay pre-season and, and played the two practice matches, I think it was, against, uh, I can't remember who they were against, but then had the opportunity to play round one and, um, yeah, just loved doing what I was doing, just a young kid playing playing AFL, so... No real issues in life then as, a, as an 18-year-old doing that. It was just really good fun. And, yeah, I think we made a prelim final that year as well. We just 
just lost to the, to the Brisbane Lions, I think, in 2003. So, yeah, mate, it was. It was exciting and, and sort of gave me the, I don't know, the reward, I guess, for the year before and the persistence and kind of hanging in there and, and just showed me how much I really enjoyed footy and, and the opportunity of playing finals footy as well was something that made you want to come back even hungrier. Playing every game in that first playing season of yours, is it like, geez, I'm like playing every game, I'm doing really well here, or and was it like unexpected or was it just kind of taking it as it comes, I guess? Yeah, no, I was, I was just taking it as it comes, mate. I was never getting comfortable. You can't do that because it could bite you on the ass pretty quickly. Um, but no, I was just excited, like I said, a young kid who you probably don't think about it too much either. When you're younger, you're just playing and do what you love doing. You don't sort of put that pressure on you. You just go out there and play. So, um, and, and so the rest was taking care of itself. So, yeah, it was good fun. So you didn't end up making the prelim that year and losing to the the eventual Premier's Lions. Um, did you sort of think after that game, oh, we'll get here next time, we'll be fine, just all every year we'll be, oh, yeah, we'll get to the prelim? Um, oh, it's tough to have that that confidence, no, but um, as a young bloke, like I said, you just sort of, I don't know, you just sort of assume or you, know, you hope you can get there every year. When you get a bit older, you get a bit realistic and understand how AFL works and they talk about the window and all this kind of stuff. But, um, oh, look, I was, I was lucky enough to play in some, some finals at Osmond and for five years in a row, so I sort of thought maybe this might happen every year and I sort of got that bad mentality. But it quickly changes and um, you just got to not look ahead like that and you got to treat every finals like it's the last one you'll ever play. So we just did that and, and obviously finals footy is the best footy you can play. I really enjoyed that and, and you definitely learn the most in them, that's for sure. From... 02 to 03, Sydney finished 11th in 02 when you didn't play and then uh, got to a prelim the next year. What changed in terms of – was there anything that changed in the culture of the club in those two years? Um, no, 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 I don't think so. Um, I think we, we had Paul Kelly and Andrew Dunkley and Antonio Lockett and all that I think finished up in 2002. Uh, that was their last year and, and Paul Roos took over as coach with five games to go I think in 2002 and – and started in 2003 over Rocket Eid. So, uh, look, I think a few things changed in that, in that perspective, having new players and, and that come in and a new coach as well. So that was probably the main difference, mate. And, yeah, we ended up playing some good footy and getting in a good role towards the end of the year. So in the 2004 season, you were sidelined due to a hamstring injury. This early in your career, was it hard to just have all those injuries? Um, yeah, it's pretty frustrating, to be honest. I look back now and I only ever played one full season. I think the whole 14 years I played, was, was I missed a game every year through injury at some stage. So 2003, I think, was that year that I was lucky to play every game. So, yeah, and I, I, I've done eight on hamstrings and, and six calves and both shoulders and both ankles and broken back and a broken uh, cheekbone. So you sort of go through everything and it's pretty frustrating. But, again, it just makes resilience and sort of makes you feel even better when you're out there and make the most of it. Were you always a bit of an injury-prone guy, like in your junior career, or did it just like start coming in when you started AFL? No, I don't think I ever missed any footy. Um, when I was 17, I think I missed about six weeks with a shoulder injury in, in the under-18s carnival. But other than that, I was just a young kid who, who played footy all the time. And, and in the country, I, was, I remember playing under-14s, under-17s and reserves on the same day because – the teams were short, and that's just what you did in country footy. So, um, no, I, was, I never really had it as a young young kid, just enjoying playing footy. So, moving on to 2005, you played every game after round 16, and then you eventually made the grand final, winning the game in the with the Leo Barry moment. How big was that for you in your fourth yeah. round of footy? 
that was unbelievable. Yeah, that was something that still sends shivers down his spine when you see that. And um, he's got friendships for life with a lot of players that he played with in that as well. So, yeah, that was unbelievable. I think I was on the bench at the time when Leo took the mark. And I remember Jason Ball was there as well. We were just walking up the sideline and just couldn't do anything because we're on the bench. And, you know, we knew there was not long to go. So we're just that nervous and anxious to what was happening. The siren went. I remember big Jason Ball just grabbed me and shook me and threw me to the ground and he said, we did it. So uh, it was it was amazing times. And like I said, something I'll never forget. It was a bit of a blur after that, but uh, she was pretty good. Everyone that we've spoken to has, has had a bit of a different grand final build-up experience, but have you got any particularly special stories in the week or the after the grand final, the week leading up to the grand final maybe? Um. Oh, not, not much I can really talk about after, that's for sure. Uh, but, no, pre, we sort of just stuck to our normal routine. And um, it was obviously new to Sydney. The town wasn't, you know, massive with AFL. It was sort of just coming on the map. We are trying to make it bigger. And I think we did what we did most weeks. And, and most weeks, if we sort of won, our motto was to go out and enjoy ourselves and, and have, have, you know, have some time together as, 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 a, as mates away from footy. So we made sure we still did that. And I, I think I recall Barry Hall and, and Todd Kennelly and, and we can doing that on the week before the grand final and, and doing what we always did, which you wouldn't do that now, that's for sure. You'd get in trouble if you had to be close to a game, but it's what we did and, um, yeah, we made sure we did that the week before the granny. Within the confines of the club, was the breaking the drought, the potential to break the drought of 72 years or whatever it was, was that spoken about much? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was obviously – it was mentioned, that's for sure, and it was obviously, you know, you got this opportunity to – you know, to break the drought for the club. So um, you've seen a lot of great players go through the club who didn't get that success and sort of do it for them. And I, I do remember Paul Kelly after the grand final. He played in 96, I think, and lost. And he just come up to us and was hugging everyone and was that, that proud and happy for us. Yet you'd think he'd be absolutely devastated and shattered that he wasn't be able to be part of it because he meant he put in the club. But just to see him and... I think there's Bobby, uh, Bobby Skilton and a few of these other guys just smile on their faces. They are proud they were of us guys winning it. Sort of made it even special. I just understand what it meant to them guys as well, not let alone just us. Does it make it more nerve-wracking having all that pressure, like we can make history here, break this drought? Oh, no, no. We just sort of focused on the process, mate. They're pretty good at doing that these days. You just sort of control what you can control and, you know, you can speak about it, but then you just put it behind you and, you know, worry about what you can do. So that was all it was, mate. Just make sure we gave it our best effort and didn't have any regrets. How hard was it to play against that West Coast team with Jard, Cousins, all those guys in that team? Yeah, fantastic team, that's for sure. And I think it was one of them things we used to say is, look, on paper, everyone would pick West Coast straight away, without a doubt. Um, but we knew we were a good team. So we sort of had that motto of a team of a champion team will be the team of champions. So we sort of stuck with that motto and, and we used it. And we had Brett Kirk inside, uh, Jude Bolton blokes. So, you, you know, you compare them with Kerr and Jarden and Cousins. That, you know, they're probably going to pick them guys first, but we just made sure we used it as a motto and, and just worried about us playing well as a team. The Sydney West Coast games, so many classics. And in the media, it was all the games, all the Sydney West Coast games were built up so much. One of the biggest games of the season for the AFL. But how much did the rivalry, um, I guess, how much did that contribute to the excitement, I guess, in the lead up to a West Coast Sydney game? Oh, look, as, as players, you just had the ultimate respect for them rivalries. Um, 
it was what was it, six games on the twelve points I think total over them years. So we always look forward to playing them. We knew it was going to be hard, and we knew how good they were. So it was more just looking forward to that. And you know, you you punch on and fight on the footy field, but. Um, after the game, it was just ultimate respect for going out there and having two hours of footy walk. So with the Sydney Swans in that era, you hear a lot of the news being like the no dickhead policy. How big was that in internally? Oh, internally, it was it was just how we were as a group. We sort of didn't let any dickhead, so to speak, sort of do some silly stuff. We were held accountable for any actions we did on or off the field, um, and it just brought us closest together. So... As for recruiting and all that kind of thing, that wasn't it. I was out of our control as players, but we just made sure we were there for each other. And I think one of the special things was is because we're based in Sydney, everyone was from interstate pretty much. I think except Lewis Brothers Thompson might have been the only Sydney side around. So everyone had a, a friendship of network. It wasn't like it is in Melbourne when people live and they got their family and school friends to go see after games of footy. We sort of hung out all the time and, and hung out together. And, and that was what made it pretty special. It's a bit of a cliche and it's talked about a lot with Sydney players, but can you just tell us a bit about the famous Bloods culture? I think, yeah, I think that's pretty much how I just summed it up there. And to be honest, that like I said, we're all very tight, very close. We worked really hard when we had to, but we also enjoyed each other's company when we, we didn't have to. So it was very well driven by Stewie Maxfield and Brett Kirk and, and Leo Barry and Barry Hall and a lot of the senior guys that took it under their wing just, just made it made us train really hard and our standards were high. But then also it was, right, I know you can enjoy yourselves and have fun together. So it was a really good balance of that. And I guess the culture was just, like I said, is because everyone's come from another state or would meant to move, it was just being a part of each other and not just on the field but also away from the field. So you did play every game in 2006 up until the grand final. So you played the grand final and you lost the sequel by one point. How heartbreaking was that? Yeah, mate, it's it's shattering, obviously. But I always mention if you know if we lost both grand finals in '05 and '06, how shattered would you be? Um, so you look back at the history of it, and as a footy lover, and you probably think maybe it's fair that West Coast and Sydney won one each after being nobody twelve points split us for six games over that period. So yeah, look, it was devastating. But um, you know, credit to the West Coast, and it was just the rival we had. It was it was one of the games that could have went either way. So, mate, I look back now, it would have been. You know, extremely happy with, with two premiership medals, but uh, also would have been devastated with zero. So it was probably fair in the end. That one point loss to the Eagles, is that kind of really close, nerve-wracking for the fans, that kind of loss more? Uh, does that is that worse? Is that feeling worse than being, like, smashed in a grand final, do you reckon? No, nah, I don't think a loss is a loss, to be honest. I think either way, it still leads away at you. That's my, that's my theory on it anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so then the big trade to the Saints along with Sean Dempster um, in 07. So uh, how did that whole thing come about? Um, yeah, look, I was I was actually in holiday uh, in Bali with my, my wife now, just having a holiday and got a phone call from, from St Kilda saying they're interested to, to draft me and I just signed a contract two weeks before it. So I sort of said, no, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll stay where I am and... Then I think they called again the next day and said, mate, we really want to consider it. We're happy to offer you this and this. And I said, oh, again, I thank you for the offer, but probably not. Um, and I spoke to John Longmire and, and Paul Ruse at the time and thought I wasn't feeling the vibe, but they really wanted to keep me. So I was 
I think uh, the next day again, I had Lenny Hayes call me from the Saints, and everyone loves Lenny. You can't say no to Lenny Hayes. So <laughs> Lenny rang me and said, "Oh, okay, mate, you got me, buddy." So and then I sort of made the decision then, which was which was big because I was sitting around a pool with my my sort of new girlfriend at the time, is now my wife, and just having a good time. All of a sudden, the next day I was packing up my whole my whole life and moving down to Melbourne just like that. So. It was never planned anything like that. It sort of happened over a three-day period and, and changed like that. But looking back, it was probably one of the best things I did for personally for my career. Yeah, do you think it was just a chance at a new start? Oh, I think so, mate. I think in the end, I just just a little bit disappointed in the way I, you know, I just signed a contract two weeks before it, I think it was, and yet they were happy to let me go. So it was like they didn't really want to keep me. So I just thought, you know what, well, you know, I'll get out of my comfort zone and and go test myself in a new place and I looked at the St Kilda list and I knew Ross Lyon because he was at the Swans before it and thought it was an opportunity to try and further my career and I think it did in the end. We've talked about with with a few of our guests, the big city rivalry. Are you Melbourne or Sydney? Um, oh, it's a tough one. Uh, a bit of both. I'm, I'll move back up to Sydney now, so my wife's got a bit of family up here, but, yeah, I think I like the Sydney weather better. Yeah, fair enough. Always nice and sunny out there whenever I've been there. But um, <laughs> then the Saint. So the overall reflections on the Sydney career: ninety-eight games, and then finals. Pretty much every year you played. So was that like kind of better than anything you could have expected? The Sydney time, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, mate. You told me that before I got drafted. You'd take it in a heartbeat. So um, yeah, I love my time up here, and I've still got friends which I will have for life. And as you move on, you sort of look back and you don't hold any grudges. You just understand it's a business now to a lot of a lot of the people. So, um, yeah, it was it was definitely um, very very good learning for me and a, and a good start to my career. So we hear from a lot of Sydney-based players that when they go out in the street, they don't get recognised, and it's a very easy place to live because it's not a huge bubble. But then you moved into the Melbourne bubble, where you're on one of the bigger clubs on the south side of the of the city. How was that uh, that transition? Yeah, it is a massive difference, that's for sure. Um, just walking down the street, walking to get a coffee, you're just not sure if people are staring at you. What didn't really worry me too much, I wasn't a very high-profile player, but I, a lot of the senior guys would – Nick Rewald, I remember, just sort of hate going down just to get dinner sometimes because you get pestered the whole time. So it is a massive difference um, down there, but it also it's, it's you know the footy state of, of Australia, so it's also a good thing as well. You get to watch a lot of footy there as well, but, um, yeah, it's a big change. And just everyone up here is a bit more laid back and, and don't really know AFL as much. So Kilda, um, in your first season there, I think, uh, finished fourth, lost in a prelim. So having another good start at a club, was that um, – were you expecting to do so well in your first season, I guess? Um, oh, I think we had a really good list at the time, to be honest, um, with Ross Lyon taking over coaches second year there. Um, they had a lot of talent and Delcino, Rewalt, Montagna – uh, oh, Kaczynski, you know, the list goes on a little bit longer. So I think the expectations are high from the outside. Uh, but the possibility was we, we felt comfortable we could we could get there. And, you know, eight it was, was a really good start to that. We got to a prelim and we lost to Hawthorne. I think we won the grand final the week after maybe. Um, and, then, you know, we sort of knew then as a team we were, we were capable. Um, so we made sure we gave every every possible chance and had a big pre-season that year and, and yeah, let us into a good start to 09. So yeah, the next season, 09, probably the biggest, one of the biggest seasons in the club's history, only uh, losing two games all season. How big was that year for you guys internally in the club? It was massive, yeah. Ross Lyon did an unbelievable job. Um, 
to get us together and, and fight. And the style we played was, was super hard on, on the body and it, was, it took a lot of mental strength and to rock up each week and continually do it. Um, but it was it was satisfying because played a pretty defensive style where we stopped teams from scoring and really sort of put pressure on them and we got a real buzz out of it, that's for sure, because you could hear the crowd at times when we were doing that and coming forward and stopping teams, it was sort of get you going. So at the end of the day, we were winning footy and going okay and then we knew we gave ourselves every chance and, and come the final series, we had some, some good stashes with Geelong on the way and I think both of us were undefeated after round 14 in 2009, had a really good game then as well against them. And then coming to the final series, it sort of went all the know, reward for effort and work would sort of pay off, we hoped. And then we looked back and, and, look, we had a crack and we gave everything we could. And unfortunately, uh, Geelong were better on the day. Famously, 19 games won in a row in 09. That's not many teams do that. It's really pretty astonishing. Is there anything that Ross or anyone else said to you to kind of keep your heads focused and not like keep that streak going? Oh, I think so. You don't you don't talk about the streak when it happens. It's probably the media that sort of pumps it up. But I think it was around I think eighteen. We're going for eighteenth win, and we went to Tassie to play Hawthorne. And I remember resting seven of our best players. I think it was Lenny Hayes, Nick Rewell, Sam Fisher, might have been Delcino, Montagna. And we thought, oh, Rossi just wants to get this loss out of the way, um, and you know, to get out of the hoodoo office, so to speak. But um, we actually went down there and won with with sort of a second-tier team, and that was one of the best wins for the year. I do remember that. So that sort of proved to us it didn't matter who we had in the team or what we had. You had to play your role for the team, and it'll give you our best chance to win. We never spoke about results. We just spoke about the process and what will give us our best chance to win games of footy. So that was our whole mindset. And I think the next week we might have lost to Essendon or someone, I think, with all them, Bombers you know, out. Yeah, I hate players coming back in. So, yeah. <laughs> in the end of the day, it worked out well. And look, we've we've got the most games in a row, and it was an unbelievable effort, and I'll never, we'll never forget it. Um, but it just sort of set us up for a good final series. That Geelong game you mentioned before, round fourteen, a classic game, and that Hawthorne game as well. Maybe a few others. Are they real team lifters? And like, oh, geez, we could be on for a, a premiership or a grand final here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But again, that was Rossi was big on that. He goes, don't you dare look ahead at the results. You just focus on the process. So you talk about cliche one week at a time, but it was definitely that. It was just think about quarter by quarter and what we can do and how we play our footy, and that'll give us our best chance. It's all about weight of numbers, and having more blokes doing that would, would help us win. So we never really thought ahead too far at all. So Geelong were the second best team that year. You guys played a classic in round 14, both teams undefeated. How big was that, like the stature of that game to you guys? Yeah, it was it was huge. It was a great build up, two really good teams, um, and a really good game of footy. Uh, it was an unbelievable game of footy that round fourteen one. So to get the win on that again, probably just you know drew a bit of confidence knowing next time we played and we'd, we've done it before and um, sort of a good feel out for us. But um, it was it was definitely a mentally mentally a good edge for us. Obviously, it didn't work looking back, but <laughs> it was good to have a win there, that's for sure. Yeah, that game you speak of, um, I think it was put on a Sunday Alva or something, but and it got like 54,000 people, something like that. I think it was a record. But, um, and then playing Geelong in the grand final, obviously, another um, fairly close grand final loss. Um, how hard was it to pick yourself up after that close loss? Oh, yeah, look. Uh, it's, you go through it, and at the end of the day, that's why you play footy is to play in finals and, and hopefully win them. They're that hard to get in, let alone win one. 
um, you sort of just got to pull your pull your head out of, of your ass, I suppose, and just you know you can't suck about it because you just want to keep getting there, and give yourself the opportunity. So that was sort of the mindset was deal with what happens, acknowledge it, um, use it as motivation later in the career, later in the year going forward, and and like I said, it's what we love doing playing finals footy. So just motivated us to get back there even more. And you did get back to the final series the next year in 2010. You beat the Doggies the second year in a row in the prelim. Did that sort of eventuate as a huge rivalry for you guys? Uh, oh, look, I think we played them in two or three in a row. I think it was. Um, we beat them. The rivalry for them, it was always good games of footy too. Um, I think it might have been just one of them teams. I think we might have had more wins against them than they did against us. So, yeah, uh, I really enjoyed them games too. They were great. Prelim finals are uh, awesome footy as well. The crowds are always even louder than it is in a grand final because it's more sort of based as the two home teams, whoever's playing, they get all their supporters in. So we had some rippers there and, yeah, some really good games of footy and we were lucky enough just to pinch them both towards the end, I think. Yeah, so I remember the doggies. They were kind of always in and around that prelim spot but never quite got there. But obviously you did get there. Um uh, in 2010 against the Pies, that famous drawn grand final originally. Um, can you just take us through your whole experience of that crazy game, I guess? Yeah, look, I've tried to block it out of my mind as much as possible, mate. But, no, look, it is a crazy experience, to be honest. It was it was so unique. It was When the siren went, the feeling around the ground was just so weird. I don't know how to describe it. It was just so – it was like an eerie noise. No one was really didn't know what to say or what to do. We didn't know if we were playing five minutes longer because you couldn't think straight. You're like, are we going again? Are we back next week? What's going on? The crowd didn't know what to do. They didn't know whether to leave or stay. And and then we we had a little discussion. Said, right, boys, let's go. We're going downstairs. We're back here next week. And we started heading to our rooms. Funny story. We started heading to our rooms, and I think a security guard or someone come up and told us, said, boys, can't go down there. You got to go to the other change rooms. The uh, sewage has flooded your rooms, so we had sewage all through our rooms. So we've then gone over to the old MCG change rooms. We're sitting in there, just adding to the weirdness of the day of like, what are we doing here? And we didn't know whether to celebrate, be disappointed, or what it was. We had family all there. We had a function planned that night, so we just sort of had to quickly snap our heads out of it. And and Rossi again was great. He just said, "Boys, go home. See your family. See your wife, kids. Let's meet tomorrow and we'll discuss it." And see what we're going to do. So we did that. And I remember ringing Stevie Milne um, on the way home. I said, how you feeling, buddy? And he goes, mate. And Stevie Milne's one of the most up-and-about guys you'll ever meet. He goes, mate, we're playing another grand final next week. How exciting is that? You know, you play in one. We can opportunity to play in another one. So if you look at it like that, it's like, oh, he's right. Everyone would give an opportunity to play in one grand final. We're going to chance playing two. So we quickly flicked the mindset to, to do that and really enjoy it. Um, and... Yeah, we, we played in the replay, but unfortunately didn't go our way. Yeah, that, um, I guess, very different kind of grand final loss, that replay. Um, do you reckon there was any kind of mental, some mental issues in the team that kind of led to the, I guess, demolition, you have to call it, in that nah, grand final? Nah, I don't think so. I think we prepared as best we did, as we could have. Collingwood prepared the best they did. I think we kicked two goals 11 and a half time. Um, or something like that. So we had our opportunities. Um, and, and honestly, Collingwood probably the better team for 2010 over the whole year. I felt probably Saints were probably the best team in 2009 for the whole year, except for grand final day. Um, and then Collingwood probably were for 2010. So, look, we just got beaten by a better team on the day. Um, and, and that's the way footy is. If you're not quite on or 
we ran out of steam in the second half and they ran over the top of us and, and had a big win. So disappointing and, and frustrating after such a hard and long, tough year and to get that result. But um, that's just the way footy is. So over your career, you've been in about five or six grand finals. Do you pinch yourself and, and just look back and be like, how have I got to this many? Yeah, oh, I definitely feel lucky, mate. I was lucky to be a part of some some great teams um, and, and some great coaches as well along the way. But unfortunately, I only had one win out of them as well. So you look back disappointed, but then also you don't take it for granted to be a part of that and, and be you know, part of some good clubs and successful clubs in their own right without actually winning. Um, it's, it's something I treasure for sure. That's, I'll never always look back and feel how lucky I was. So 2011, you ended up in a final which you lost against the Swans in an elimination final and that ended up being the last final for a while for the Saints. Not sure if they've played one since actually. But um, And then what do you reckon led to the kind of quick downhill slide of the teams not making a final for a while? Um, oh, that's just footy, mate. I think we had our opportunities. A few guys retire and move on. I think Ross Lyon also moved club a year or two later. Um, and that's just sort of what happens. The lists start to change and they start trading guys out to try and get some younger guys in because the list was ageing and all these kind of things as well sort of take a part of it. And that just, that's just what happened. Unfortunately, we didn't want it to drop so quickly like that and, and Scotty Waters come in and took over and, that didn't quite work out, so it was um, that's just the way it was. Yeah, we unfortunately just kept going the world, but but other teams around us just got better, and and we probably got a bit younger and, and had some new guys coming through. So that's how how it works out. So your last year in 2014, did you know you were going to get delisted that year? 2014, I think, I think it's 15. Uh, yeah, delisted, 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 drafted, yeah, yeah. So I was told Alan Richardson took over and. I sort of said we had to delist you and, and put you on as a rookie going forward. So I didn't know till late in the year, which was a bit frustrating and, and sort of the uncertainty as a person coming to your new career. But that's the way it was. And I'd say I understand footy clubs. That's how they're going to work. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I, I look, I understood how the last year was going to work. and I enjoyed the coaching side of things and mentoring. So I, I was going into the mindset, hoping to play senior footy, but understanding they were going down a path of playing some younger guys. So if I could be a part of helping them along the way, it was – it was something I sort of enjoyed doing, so I just wanted to play footy as long as I can. Sort of had to be told I couldn't play anymore, um, and, and that's how it worked out, and it worked out well. Well, yeah, your last ever game in 2015 just happens against the Swans. Um, both sides clapping you off as you were chaired off at the end of the game. Is that something that um, you think about a bit more because it was against the Swans a bit more special? Oh, yeah, that was embarrassing at the end of the game. That's for sure I was... Pretty annoyed. I think it was Goodsy and Macca who did that for me. I said, boys, go away. But no, it was, it was lucky. And I looked at the draw and I spoke to, to Richo probably five or six weeks out before the season ended. And I said, look, I'm happy to, to finish up, mate. If I could get one more in, that'd be great. Um, and sort of picked the, I picked the home game. I think it was our last home game. So I could have it. And we think we played the West Coast the week after over there. So I just sort of thought against the Swans, a bit of an omen. Got to have all my family and friends and people who supported me through my years come to watch, which was fantastic. And yeah, I think we got absolutely belted by about 90 points or something, but um, it was it was good to have everyone there and, and sort of have a bit of closure in my career. So what were the first few months after retirement like? Um, yeah, I let myself go, that's for sure. Yeah, I enjoyed a, you know, a few beers and eating a lot of food. I was going to put on about five or six kilos in the first month, so <laughs> it was good. Uh, it was good fun. But uh, no, I just relaxed for the first few. I, I went on a honeymoon. Uh, with my wife uh, for three or four weeks, I think it was as well. So 
did that and just spent a bit of time with my young family as well. So I had some some really good times just relaxing and, and not even thinking about footy, being able to do the things I hadn't been able to do. Post-career, um, immediately after you finished, did you have any particular plans for coaching or anything? Um, towards my end of career, yeah. Like I said, I really enjoyed that side of things. So I made the most of it, did a few courses here and there and, and, um, and took it on. But when I got back from the honeymoon, I just I felt I needed a break from the system. So I just... I decided to, to play footy with Stevie Milne at Bo Morris Footy Club and, and just work a normal job um, and did that and, and had a lot of fun there and was lucky enough to win a premiership there with him. And then uh, they're in the Vic Amers, uh, the B, Premier B amateurs there, and we won that and went up to, to A grade the week after, uh, sorry, the year after, and they needed a coach at the time. So I sort of said, you know what, I'll, I'll put my hand up and, and have a crack at it and see if I really enjoy it and then hopefully try and get back in the AFL system and, and coached the boys there and really, really enjoyed that and sort of a passion I had. So did that for a year and, and got an opportunity up here at the Giants now and I've been up here for three years and, and enjoy that side of thing of coaching for sure. Yeah, how is it being a part of a club that is growing as a like a newer club in the AFL system? Yeah, it's, it is a unique club. I think it's been what, eight years now, the eighth year they've been in the club and we've got 25,000 plus members already. So that's a great effort for such a young club. It's very similar to the Sydney Swans culture. Everyone comes from inner state, so they're very close. They do the family thing really well up here. Um, they really make you feel welcome and the family's welcome. So that's uh, something great. But, no, it's just a great experience. Got a good coaching group to work with and, and all the players are really good players. And Yeah, it's, it's enjoying times at the moment. And I hope the boys have been going okay the last few years. We're just not quite there. So uh, I reckon the Sydney factor probably played a big part in um, going to GWS to coach. Is that true? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to the, the wife and, and kids at the time, and we had an opportunity. So we said, let's let's go have a go at it. And if it doesn't work out or we don't like it, we'll we'll come back to Melbourne. So um, yeah, I'm in the last year of the contract this year, and we'll have to see what happens next year. If might be back in Melbourne, you just don't know now. So yeah, that was how it all panned out. Yeah. So um, you coached the head coach of the GWS NAFL team last year, I think. Um, and how does the NAFL compare to the state league of a traditional footy state like Victoria or SA or something? Yeah, so it's um, what they do here is we have a, a, t- a second grade team and we have top-ups through our academy. If you have young kids who sort of come help you out when you're short, as we're down in sort of Melbourne, most clubs are affiliated with another club in the VFLs where the players go play for, for Sandingham or Casey or or something like that. So we're just all about our, our players and then our academy kids, 17, 18-year-olds, come and play and help us out when we're short. That's probably the biggest difference there and good opportunity for them to be seen on the big stage but also to be a part of the actual senior Giants team when they're involved in our academy. So I think that's all for, from us questions-wise, but we do have a few questions from Facebook. Uh, yep. Angela, she asks, she's uh, part of a Sydney Swans group. Uh, do you miss us? Do you miss us, Schneiderman? <laughs> yes, Angela, I do. I uh, still got a soft spot for Swans, and always will. And like I said, I've got memories for life, and and um, I do cop a bit of grief from a few Swans fans for leaving. But hopefully, you heard the story now and understand it wasn't all me that was doing that. And uh, no, I, I definitely do, and I enjoy getting back. And I still watch every Swans game on most weekends when I can, and and support them. <clears throat> Another one from our listener, Craig. Um, what was the different biggest difference that you noticed between the Swans and the Saints? Good, good or bad, either way. Yeah, that, that's always a hard question to answer. That one, I get that a bit. Um, footy clubs are very same, very similar all over. 
probably the main difference I mentioned, I think, is about the Swans is because everyone's from interstate, they probably just bond and gel a bit together away from the footy club more than what they did in Melbourne. Um, you have your little groups, obviously, in Melbourne, but but here it's sort of a whole club theme, and that's sort of what I remember being the biggest difference. Uh, Sid has a bit of a story. So years ago I had a beer with Schneids, and he said the umpires gave him and Milne nothing. Do you think that Toby <laughs> Green is getting the same uh, treatment? Who's that, Toby Green? Yeah, yeah. look, I've got to be careful what I say here, but, yeah, I think we saw all last week. It was, he, got, he missed a few free kicks he probably should have got, so I'll let you read between the lines of that one. <laughs> how, uh, how much did that play on your mind, um, just for me, uh, how much did that play on your mind getting that unfair treatment from the umpires, I guess? Oh, look, no, not too much, mate. It's it's just frustrating and you get caught up in the heat of the moment and, I probably didn't help myself and Milne definitely didn't either by saying a few things you probably shouldn't to umpires and, and they're human, mate. They, they make mistakes and they miss things just like we do. So you try not to let it affect you and you've got to try and let it go as soon as you can because otherwise it just plays in your mind for longer in the game. Last one. Jack wants to know what's the best memory you've had in your career? Um, oh, I can't go past the 05 grand final. But um, nah, probably all finals games, to be honest, mate. Every single final game I, I remember very clearly. Um, I just love playing finals and I'll never forget them. All right, so moving on from the listener questions, our last little segment, it's the famous quiz that all our listeners know of. Uh, so, Adam, you're going to be going head-to-head against my co-host here, Jackson. So I've got five yep. questions for you. you just got to buzz in with your name. Pretty simple. I get that? No worries. All right, so for question one, uh, I believe you hosted a little program on the Saints TV channel. If we, we've got an audio grab of that. And so uh, we've got a little thing from an interview you did with Dylan Robertson, if we can go to that one. Are you superstitious? And what superstitions do you have before a game? Yeah, it's a pretty simple one. I like to, I always like to put my socks on before my boots. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, good stuff from Dylan there. Um, so speaking of superstitions and phobias, I guess, so um, can you tell me what is frigatriskaidekaphobia? What's that the fear of? <laughs> Jackson? Jackson, go for it. Um, is it the fear of long words? No, it's not. Oh. Adam, want to have a crack? It's a pretty common, <laughs> pretty common phobia. Um, oh, mate, you know, I'm going to say socks. I don't know. <laughs> socks is incorrect. It's Friday the 13th. Mm. Fear of Friday. What was the answer? It's the fear of Friday the 13th. Yeah, right. Never would have got that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider, mixing your name up there, um, they've appeared in 18 of each other's movies. Can you name two? Yep, Adam. Adam, go for it. Um, oh, gee. Uh, um, grown Ups and Grown Ups 2. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well done, one nil, Adam. Good stuff. Uh, so uh, we're going to go to question three now. So um, you got you played ninety eight games for the Swans and um, against England at Trent Bridge. And on his Test debut, Ashton Agar famously broke the record for the highest Test score by number eleven with ninety eight runs off just one hundred one balls. It's crazy. Um, and his partnership was with Phil Hughes, closest to the pin. How many runs did that partnership earn? Adam. Adam, go for it. 168. 168 is incorrect, but it's closest to the pin. So, Jackson, you want to have a go? Uh, 160. Oh, wait, no. 174. 
Yeah, you got to take overs. <laughs> Adam gets the point. It's 163. Oh, bang. Yeah. So, yeah. That's pretty close. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> Ashton getting most of the runs there. Don't really remember that, but there you go. No, I remember him watching. He went, to, he went pretty hard on it. I remember that. But yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. Yeah, there you go. So, moving on. 2 0, Adam. Question four. So, um, spent a bit of your early life in Wagga Wagga. Um, the Chico Roll. It debuted at the Wagga Show in 1951. Can you tell me five ingredients of the Chico Roll? <laughs> Adam? Adam, go for it. Yeah, it had chicken, it had pastry, it had carrot, um, it had... I'm not going to accept uh, pastry as an ingredient. I need a bit more specifics <laughs> than that. Oh, mate. Um, can't tell you. You've obviously Googled and look what it is. I'm only going off when I ate it. So, <laughs> Jackson, want to have a crack? I don't think I've ever had a chicken roll. Um, cabbage, maybe? Cabbage is one, yeah. Oh. Uh, cabbage, car- uh, carrot, um, salt. I'd say yeah, somewhere salt. in there. Salt. 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 Somewhere in there. Yeah, it's in there. It's what do you mean? There's salt in there, Adam. <laughs> yeah, we might as well chuck pepper in there too then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, uh, main ones, I won't list them all, but you've got a bit of wheat flour, a bit of cabbage, water, cooked barley, carrot, beef, uh, a bit of wheat cereal and celery. So a few more. But uh, So he doesn't get that point, does he? No, he, doesn't. he didn't name five, so he doesn't get the point. So it's 2-0 to Adam on our last question, but uh, our last question is a who am I question. So we're going to go down from five points with a se- uh, yep. series of clues. Uh, so I'll give you a clue for each point, and it's going to go all the way down to one point. So Jackson needs yep. three points to win. So uh, let's do it. For five points, uh, I've played the sixth most games wearing Adam Schneider's number 13 in VFL AFL history, and Adam, you're seventh in, for wearing number 13. 204 games in that number. Someone want to have a crack? Or should I move on? Um, Brett Voss? Brett Voss is incorrect. So, um, <laughs> Adam, now that you've buzzed in, uh, I can't take one of your answers until Jackson gets it wrong. So, Jackson. Oh, you didn't tell me. You didn't specify that, mate. I was oh, you had a free shot at it. Yeah, I've got to say it. I'll let, you, I'll let you go. I usually say that before, but I just forgot about it. So, I'll, I'll let both of you go at this one. Four points. Uh, so, I've won one premiership and two best and fairest over the course of my career. Should I move on? Yeah, move on. I've got one, but I'm too scared to say it. <laughs> yeah, so I probably intimidate you a bit there by <laughs> well, Okay, anyway, for three points, Jackson, you've got to get this one to win. So I'm a midfielder who's played 205 AFL games and kicked 137 goals. Do you want to have a stab? One premiership, two BNFs. Number 13. Shall I move on? Do you want to go for the draw? I've got no clue. We'll go for the draw. Okay, so I'll go for um, for two points. I was drafted at pick 18 in the draft where Jack Watts was taken at pick one. Jack Watts. So that would be 2007. It's 2008 draft, I think. Ah, right, yeah, okay. Do you want to go for the draw? Do I move on? Do I want to have, have, have a guess? I I, like now, I'm blanking on who's where's number thirteen. Well, okay, well, yes. I'll move. I'll move it on for 
for one point, both of you got a shot at it, but Adam, you've already won, so it's a bit of a dead rubber. The 2018 West Coast versus Collingwood Grand Final led to one of my nicknames, Norm. Gaff. Adam. Andrew Gaff. Andrew Gaff's incorrect. So, Jackson, one 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 ever got it, Jackson? Oh, who won the norm? Who won the norm in that game? Um... Oh, you idiot. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Adam, you, have, you can have a go if you want. It's a bit of a dead rubber. Have a go. I, don't know. Oh, I left right after the final siren oh. in that game. <laughs> I know who it is. I just can't think of his name. Uh, he's Wait, is it Brad Shepard? Brad Shepard's incorrect. His no, first no. name is, starts with an L. I know he's a midfield. Yeah, I know exactly who. I just cannot picture his name at the moment. Luke... Chewy. Luke Chewy is correct. Oh, That's it. Gas well, number three. Number three, not third. Yeah, eh? number three. So well done. Three nil win to Adam. Can we have a round of applause? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're really going at me today, aren't yeah. you, Harper? Incred- oh, Adam, I'm a big Collingwood fan, so and and Harper's a big uh, Essendon fan, so they beat us last night. So he just <laughs> hasn't shut up about it today. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, no, you deserve it anyway, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the better moments of your career, I reckon, that quiz win, Adam, so well done. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'll remember that forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that about wraps us up, so big thanks for coming on, mate. Cheers, you guys. Appreciate that. And we're back. How good was that, Harper? Adam Schneider, what a legend. One of the most, definitely one of the most decorated, the most decorated player we've had on the show, I reckon. Premiership five grand finals, really all-time great of both the Saints and the Swans. Yeah, definitely. Um, very hear, very good to hear his insight in both clubs and the way he, uh, both clubs ran and all these grand final losses, unfortunately. Yeah, and a draw, but one win. Yeah, oh, you'd take that if you're a footy player. One premiership, it's not bad. Yeah. yeah most Rather one than none. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Adam Schneider, obviously, Saints and Swans. Any players that spring to mind, famous two-club players? Well, uh, funnily enough, another Saints and Swans is uh, Tony Lockett. Yeah, plugger. plugger, yeah. Leading goal kicker of all time, I think. If, you, if you're listening to this and you don't know who he is, tune out now. <laughs> Fucking disgraceful. But, um, it's, yeah, heaps um, spring to mind. You've got um, someone like Peter McKenna, of yep. course, uh, famously um, the Collingwood Carlton switch. Uh, uh, no one does that. Yeah, bloody... And he, uh, yeah, he, t- he tiptoed the line and uh, I bet he wasn't a very good, very uh, loved person by the Collingwood faithful after that. Yeah, and um, another big Collingwood Carlton switch a few years ago. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the Fazzy Boy, the Prince of Perth. Oh, no, I wasn't talking about him, but yeah, there's him as well. Uh, oh, Prince of Perth. Well, Daisy he Thomas wasn't traded, well. but um, oh, yeah, Daisy, Daisy as well. Yeah, Daisy. That was a lot of players going from Collingwood to Carlton. Yeah, and I remember um, Travis Cloak. Going to the Bulldogs and his first game, I think, for the Bulldogs playing yeah. against Collingwood, and he was got harassed by. Oh, all of course, the anyone who leaves like, Collingwood in yeah, that sort of fashion. But I love Cloakie; I always did. So, yeah, big fan of him. Um, how about any Essendon? Can you think of any uh, big Essendon ones? Oh well, we we've got quite a few players that have come from other clubs on the at the moment on our list. Um, Dylan Shield, uh, he's. One a lot of, of GWS players you can think of like yeah. that come to mind straight away. Um, like especially with Collingwood, you have uh, Adam Trelaw, Will Hoskin Elliott. Yeah, and Carlton. There's heaps of ex-GWS players at Carlton, famously. Um, Marchbank, 
Uh, who else has you got? Jeez, Carlton, a bit of a small club. Can't really think of many of their players. But, uh, yeah, Essendon's got lots of players. Andrew Phillips, cracking performance the other night against the Pies, your team. That was very good. Um, I think he's three. three. <laughs> yeah. I, Cut that. Um, and one of the bigger players in the league at the moment, Gary Ablett Jr. Oh, Gary Ablett Jr. Of course, he's had a couple of trades, but only two clubs. Only two clubs. Even his dad. Yeah. Hawthorne and Geelong. Yeah. If you've listened to the um, podcast, the 89 podcast the other week, check that out if you haven't. Um, talk about him a bit. Um, Gary Ablett, 350th game the other week. Um, that was good against the Suns. Yep. Uh, what a superstar. Yeah. Elite and uh, speaking of Cats midfield, you've got Paddy Dangerfield. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, of course. His partner in crime. Yeah. There's just so many. I, just, I think yeah. it's, it's, it's fairly common because you see all the interstate guys yeah. move, want them to move back to their home states. Um, exactly. And also like Tom Lynch. Is he a Melbourne boy? Yeah, I think he's a Melbourne boy. Two clubs. Yeah. It's, it's a shame to see all the guys who left, like, well, not GWS because they're they're so successful right now, but like a, a Gold Coast. Yeah, like you know, think, like imagine the team they would have had right now. Like they they're doing well this season, but yeah. imagine the team they would have had if they, had, they still had like a Gary Ablett, a um, Stephen May, Tom Lynch. They'd be unstoppable. The Gold Coast team reunion in ten years <laughs> or so. Half the players are going to be two club players there. But um, yeah, you've got. Um, someone like heaps of brown line medalists spring to mind. I mentioned Chris Judd, um, West Coast and Carlton, and Gavin Wanganine, uh won the brown line '93, I think. Essendon and Port. Uh, Nathan Buckley, Brisbane Bears, Collingwood. Of course, yeah. Played the one year at Brisbane, and then uh, had to. Well, he the the whole thing of it is he come to Brisbane for a year, and then he could choose wherever he wanted to go. And I think uh, another bit Essendon centric here, but. Tim Watson was on the list of West Coast in 92, I think, 1992. I'm not really sure what the story behind that is, so let us know on the socials, link in our show notes there, what they are. But um, And they came back to Essendon for 93. So technically at two clubs, never played for West Coast. Yeah, um, that's probably enough from us. But if you have any, uh, any of your favourite players or two club players, be sure to let us know on the socials. Yeah, exactly. Um, as we said, show tools in the description and make sure, check us out on Patreon if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash WDWBpod. Massively appreciate it. Massively appreciate it. Uh, if you could help us out, uh, really, it would be massively appreciated. As and another said. way to help us out is leave a review on uh, whatever podcast app you're listening to. Yeah. It'd be great. It uh, lets us go up the, lets us be shown to more people. So if you leave us a review, Whatever stars, let us know how you like the podcast. And even if you don't like, just leave us a yeah. leave, leave us a five star review. <laughs> say what you want. Five stars though. It's, it's a must. Uh, but yeah, like help us out. Um, we just want to get better, you know? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, give us feedback on our email and whatever. But um, we're going to continue on the music thing that we've been doing for the past few weeks. So this time, uh, this guy called Paul Ray who's gotten in touch with us. He works with some young people down in the Murrindindi Shire, down in King Lake, I think, uh, so he does some original songwriting with them and original music performances. So uh, they've got heaps of stuff up on their SoundCloud. You can check it out at soundcloud.com forward slash Paul Ray and students or facebook.com forward slash Murrindindi youth. But there's, they've got a great range of original songs that they've written and performed their uh, youth down there. So this one we've uh, chosen out. It's by Kyla Bullock uh, and it's called Outrun This Life. So it's a really good track. So here it is right now.
Let's leave it.